All right. And uh, if I didn't say so already, welcome to everyone online this morning. I know uh, a couple of people texted, so they were feeling under the weather. And so uh, we miss you, wish you were here with us. And uh, looking forward to a good time in the Word of God today. So Matthew chapter 11 is where we are today. And as you turn there, let's just begin reading. We will read down to... um, Let's see. I think we will read down uh, to verse 6, and then I want to kind of jump down to verse 25 rather than reading the whole chapter today. So Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you see and hear. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who was not offended because of me. And then jumping down to verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and he to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Lord, would you bless the reading of your word? Would you bless our gathering today in your name? Would you cause your word to go forth as you promised and not return void and that it would produce a fruitful harvest in our lives, 30, 60, and 100-fold? And Lord, as we continue to worship you today as well with our offerings, would you bless the offerings unto your service and multiply them for the service of your kingdom? Lord, thank you for this time together. We look forward to all that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue to go through the book of Matthew, uh, you may remember last week if you were here, uh, just, you can just turn back and see this in your Bible itself, that uh, Jesus had sent out um, the disciples, the apostles, to go out and to minister in his name. And as he sent them, he had given them very specific directions on how they should go, how they should minister, what they should take with themselves, what they should not take. And really the point of all of that as we looked at it last week was that Jesus wanted them to learn to trust him for their ministry and for their provision in ministry. And so he told them to take very little And as they went, they were to go into a city and basically just pray and look for a place to stay and trust that God would provide a place for them to stay. He would provide the food through those people who hosted them. 
And then they would speak the word and they would minister in the name of Christ. And as they did that, and as they preached the gospel of the kingdom, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he warned them that some would receive the message and would receive them. And then others would reject their message as well as reject them. And Jesus reminded them that when they receive you, they're receiving me. You know, don't, don't get your head met, mixed up. Don't get messed up in this. Don't think that you're Mr. or Mrs. Popular because people are liking you and receiving you. And by the same token, when the people reject the message and when they reject you, remember that they are rejecting me and not you. They are rejecting the word of God and they are rejecting the message that God has sent to them. In fact, they are rejecting the salvation of God. And then Jesus, as he taught them, as you know, they were coming back, he said, do not fear those people. Do not fear them, verse 26 of verse 10, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. In other words, God will take care of the issues of the heart and the issues of the soul that are maybe perhaps hidden from sight, but nothing is hidden from God. And he says, do not fear people. He says, but fear him, fear God, because he is the one who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. People might be able to destroy your body. They might be able to put you to death. And that's okay, Jesus is saying, because guess what? Then you get to be in heaven with the Lord. And he talked about how it, toward the end of that, about two sparrows being uh, sold for only a coin, uh, really a penny would be the equivalent in our society. And he says, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Your father knows. And then he went on to say that the very hairs of your head are numbered. And he said, aren't you much more important than sparrows? Pointing out the fact that God cares, God sees, God knows. And so as he's talking about all these things, he then said that he came actually to bring division. He came to bring a sword because the truth would divide. And as he said that, he said there would be problems within our families because even as you come to Christ, and many of us have experienced this in our own lives, where we've come to Christ, and yet other people in our family have not come to Christ, and many of them have mocked us or they have taken those things that, uh, from the word of God that we've said or maybe you know, looked at our witness and tried to tear us down and to say, see, you're just another hypocrite like the rest of them, and they, they like to make fun of Christ and of his followers. But Jesus says, no, you confess me before men, and if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And if you deny me before men, then I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. And as he said that, he talked about the importance of taking up our cross and follow after him. And that's going to be in stark contrast to what he says at the end of the passage that we read uh, at the end of chapter 11 today. So let's get into chapter 11 so we can see what he has for us today. In verse 11, we find Jesus is teaching, and it came to pass when he finished commanding his 12 disciples, as he wrapped up sort of the, the post-review of they had gone out, and now they have come back. He departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities, and Jesus went around and went into some of the cities that they had visited themselves when he sent them out. And when John had heard as he was in prison uh, about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples to Jesus and, he said to him, and they said to him, 
Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now, John had questions about Jesus, but let's talk about John for just a moment. Let's sort of remember where John came from. Remember, Jesus was born of Mary. Remember, he was born by the Holy Spirit. His father, Joseph, his earthly earthly father, was not really his earthly father because he had no part in the birth. But when Mary got pregnant, the Holy Spirit sent her to her relative. We believe it was her cousin, but we don't know for sure if it was her cousin. But her relative, Elizabeth, and six months earlier, the angel of the Lord had appeared to Elizabeth and Zechariah. And remember, I said, you're going to have a son in your old age. And it turned out to be John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. So John and Jesus are related in some way. John was the forerunner of Jesus. And we know going back to Matthew chapter 4, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Remember back in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus was baptized by John. And so they knew each other, and the other Gospels tell us that when Jesus came to be baptized by John, that John had been saying just before Jesus came, there is one coming after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to unloose, meaning if I were his servant, I I wouldn't even be worthy to be his servant, referring to Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And we know that right before Jesus came, John said, when he comes... When the Messiah comes, he must increase and I must decrease. And then Jesus came. And as he came to John, John said, Lord, you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. And Jesus said, permit it to be so, to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus and John had this relationship and Jesus was baptized by John. And remember, as Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the baptismal waters, that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And this voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So John was there. John was the baptizer. John witnessed all these things. And John continued to have this ministry that he had had for, for, you know, probably a year or so before Christ came on the scene. And as John had been out in the wilderness preaching the baptism of repentance and Jesus began his ministry, people left John's following and began to follow Christ. And John was a preacher of righteousness. And John, being a preacher of righteousness, had said specifically to Herod, as Herod was notorious for doing dastardly things, what he did was he actually took his brother's wife, Herodias, and um, took her, seduced her away from his own brother and married her. And John had called him out on it. And said, you can't do that. That's not lawful. That's a horrible thing to do. Uh, You're already married. He divorced his wife so he could get this other woman who was his brother's wife. I mean, it was just a crazy thing. John called him out. And Herod cast John into jail, but not just any jail. He cast him into a jail that was out in the wilderness, out in the desert. It was a terrible place. And so John had now been out there for quite some time. And as he had been there... um, in jail, just wondering what was happening, uh, he sent his disciples. He no doubt had begun to wonder, you know, what's happening here? And John, most likely, like all of us, had expectations that, Jesus, you were going to come and you were going to take over and things were going to be good and the government was going to be overthrown and all of these things. 
And John had these expectations as we so often have. And he seems to be asking the question almost, who are you, Jesus? Are you the one who was to come? Are you the Messiah? And in verse 4 it says, Jesus answered and said to those disciples, he said, you go back and you tell John the things which you hear and you see. Here's what you're to tell him. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. John, this is the sign. The sign that I'm here, the sign that I am the Messiah. Who could do these things? Who can heal the blind? Who can heal the lame? Who can heal a leper? Who can give the deaf their hearing? Who can give anyone healing, divine healing? Who can raise the dead? And who would even bother to go to the poor to preach the gospel? And all of these things that Jesus said in verse 5 were fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. These were all things that the Old Testament prophets said the Messiah, when he comes, will do these things. And Jesus said in verse 6, And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As we said earlier, the name of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, offends people. And certainly we know, as well as anybody in our day and age, it takes next to nothing to offend people these days, doesn't it? Let alone mentioning the name of Jesus. And as they departed, and they went back to John to take this message to him, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? You know, John had quite a following. People were going out. He was, he was the spectacle. He was like the circus. People were going out there to see him. He was a, a wild and crazy man living in the wilderness with a beard and uh, eating honeycomb and had, was dressed in sackcloth and had a belt around his waist. And in many ways, he had sort of the appearance of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And he's saying, what did you go out there to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Nobody went out into the desert to see the wind blow. Did you go out to see a man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. In other words, you didn't go out to see a dignitary. You didn't go out to see a king passing by. He said, but what did you go out to see? Verse 9, a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. And so Jesus is now elevating and encouraging and building up his relative, the forerunner of the Messiah, John. He says in verse 10, for this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face, he who will prepare your way before you. Jesus saying, this man, John, who's in prison, who's been being mistreated because he stood up for righteousness, he's the one whom the prophets spoke of who said he would prepare the way of the Messiah. Verse 11, assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than, <clears throat> excuse me, John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus speaking in his usual sort of cryptic way. No one is greater than John the Baptist. In fact, he's going to say he's essentially the last of the Old Testament prophets. But he says, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. In other words, the way God counts honor, the way God counts service, uh, 
It's upside down from the way we think of it. We think of those people who start a home business in their garage and then one day they become Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or somebody like that. We think those are the great people of the world. But he says here, no, it's those who serve. It's those who do the will of God who are those who are the honored of God. And he says, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist, and no one's greater than John the Baptist. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So anytime the word of God came, if we look at the Old Testament prophets, when he says here that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force, you know, sometimes we have these blessed periods of time when the gospel is preached, when the name of the Lord is proclaimed and people hear and they receive and they respond. And that's an amazing thing. But often when we share the gospel, when the good news of the kingdom is preached, people don't receive it. And in many cases, people react violently, don't they? And we've seen this over the years, just in our own society, even in the last 50 years, we've had periods of time where people hear and they receive the gospel and periods where they reject it and they're vehement against it. In fact, we are living in such a time now where people are violently against the name of Christ. And when the day is coming, as things are in my opinion, in my mind, hurtling toward the last days, that Timothy, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, said in the last days these things are going to happen. People are going to become lovers of selves and haters of good things and haters of the truth. And they will persecute you. And, and Paul said, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted. And we could even add to that, prosecuted. I hope that you'll listen to some of those messages I just told you about. Pastor Mike was riveting as he was sharing, and he is a very humble man. As you listen to him, you'll see that he basically said, I, I never asked for any of this. In fact, I tried to quit for the last year. I didn't want this church. I didn't want this job because of what he was going through. And yet God gave him this unique opportunity you know he's got 2.7 million dollars in fines levied against him for staying open and as he stayed open if you listen he'll tell this amazing story people have just been coming and getting saved left and right they've been having baptisms they were the only church open in the entire area and people were hungry they said our church is closed and we need the lord and they're coming to church and they're bringing their friends in fact one day he a guy showed up at church. He tells this story. And this guy is, was Pastor Mike's uh, uh, practice. He shared the gospel at the end of the message. And this man came forward to receive Christ. And as he began to talk to him, the man said, I came here today to sort of pay my respects to God because I was headed home to commit suicide. I already had this all planned out. And I just wanted to sort of say goodbye to the Lord, I guess, in that process. And he said, what I heard today, I've never heard anything like this. Turns out this man was the guy who was in charge of and runs the suicide hotline for Santa Clara County. Now, that's all of Silicon Valley. And this man got so radically saved and transformed by 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has been bringing people to church personally every single week. And the people he's been bringing, like the, remember the men we discovered a couple of weeks ago who brought the four men who brought the paralytic, they brought their friend to Christ. And he's been like that by his faith. He's been bringing people to church and people are getting saved. Pastor Mike's having baptisms every, every week almost. And they now have a prayer meeting that gathers every week in their church. God's doing this amazing thing. Pastor Mike ended up on the witness stand in the court as they were having a trial about all these things and about why he defied the orders and why he stayed open. And so his attorney said to him while they were sitting in the court, um, I want to put you on the witness stand. And he's like, well, okay, what are we going to do? And he said, well, just get up there. I'm going to ask you some questions. Don't worry, there'll be softballs. I'm just going to lob them out there for you. But remember, the prosecutor can cross-examine. He said, we'll just pray and go. So he gets on the stand. And his attorney begins asking him questions like, so Pastor Mike, you know, tell us, Tell us who you are. Tell us why this church exists. Tell us what you as a pastor do. Why was it that you stayed open during the pandemic? Why did you defy the orders? And he said, for an hour, this is Pastor Mike speaking. He said, for an hour and a half, he said, I carried my Bible up. And he said, I just opened the, the scriptures. And I answered his questions by reading a verse of scripture and then telling them my reason behind it. And he said, for an hour and a half, I gave a Bible study to the court to the judge, to the jury, to the prosecutor, and to all that were in the room. And he said, at the end of the time, the judge looked at the prosecutor and said, any questions? And she said, none. Amazing. Now, he still has $2.7 million of fines levied against him. But he said, if I have to sell the church and close it, if I have to sell my house, and we have to do all this to raise the money to pay the fines, he said, so be it, because the church of Jesus Christ is not the building, is it? He said, we can meet in a parking lot. It doesn't matter because the gospel will go forth. And what Jesus said here about John the Baptist and the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. This is true. And people will oppose the gospel. But Pastor Mike, as he shared, just, I mean, it was like the, the face of an angel just listening to him. And we're all sitting there going, I feel this big after what we've experienced. And we've had nothing. We've, we've had no persecution. We've had no difficulty. And he says, and all the prophets and, and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who was to come. In Malachi chapter 4, the Lord said, Malachi chapter 4 verse 5, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and the dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So Jesus is saying that John, he says, if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who was to come. Now there's a very interesting thing to think of here because He's saying that John was like Elijah. He came in the spirit of Elijah. But we also know that a little bit later on the Mount of Transfiguration, that is Jesus is up there on that, that mountain and Peter, James, and John are up there. Remember, Elijah and Moses came to him and they represented the, the law and the prophets. And they ministered to Jesus and, 
It said that he uh, glowed with just the glow of heaven as the Lord had met with him there on that mountain. So there's a, an appearance of Elijah there. But in Revelation chapter 11, we have this description of two witnesses during the time of the tribulation who uh, are raised up by the Lord and they are there by uh, the wall, the wailing wall by the temple mount during those days of the time of the tribulation. And they are uh, televised as it, 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 we believe it by what's described there in the scriptures and they are given sort of a global platform. And so it's interesting that while there are people, if you think about the liberal media, anytime somebody goes on the air and they say something about Christ, they immediately edit it out. Well, on that day in Revelation 11, when those two witnesses are standing there, and we believe one of those witnesses will, will probably be the prophet Elijah, they will be given free reign to, to say what they need to say and to preach the gospel, and it will be broadcast globally. And so when it says here, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and the dreadful day of the Lord, certainly John the Baptist being here as a preacher of righteousness in the spirit of Elijah is a partial fulfillment of what Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 said. But certainly when the two prophets or the, the two witnesses appear in Revelation chapter 11 and, and we believe although it's not certain that one of those people will be Elijah, that that would be a fulfillment before the coming of the great and the dreadful day of the Lord because the two witnesses will be there before the midpoint of the tribulation when the beast goes in and declares himself to be God and then the abomination of desolation happens. And then that dreadful day of the Lord begins to fall upon planet earth. In Matthew eleven fifteen, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus uses a phrase here, very first time he used it, that he wants people to hear what's happening, what's happening with the kingdom of God, what's happening with the way God chooses to minister, whom he chooses to use. God uses the most unlikely people. Who would use a man like John the Baptist? In our context today, John the Baptist would be like some crazy old homeless street preacher and people would probably disregard that person as they walked by and they saw this crazy person on the street with a beard and honey and locusts stuck in his beard and wearing basically a burlap sack and wearing a belt and acting all crazy and saying you know ah oh, the Lord's gonna judge and you know repent the kingdom of God is at hand and people usually walk by and go ah a crazy old man and God chooses to use the weak and the foolish things of the world just like us. You see, he doesn't call necessarily the most prominent people. He calls the common people. And as Jesus said, I came to bring the gospel to everybody. And he says, to what shall I liken this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions saying, hey, we played the flute for you and you did not dance and we mourned and to you and you did not lament. And then he says, in like manner, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. But the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. You see, John was viewed by people as literally a crazy old man, and they called him a demon-possessed man. Jesus came. And we know they actually called him demon-possessed as well, but they also 
say, look, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber, meaning uh, all he cares about is himself. He's just self-centered, self-focused. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And, of course, the scribes and the Pharisees looked at that and said that was a terrible thing. Jesus, you're defiled because you're hanging out with people who are active sinners. You should hang out with us. We are the holy people. We're the righteous people. If you want to stay close to God and if you want us to receive you as a teacher, as a rabbi, you need to come hang out with us, Jesus. But he, of course, would not do that. He says here, but wisdom is justified by her children. Listen, we've already talked about this. Fruit proves what kind of plant we are. It proves what's going on in our lives. Wisdom is justified by her children and the fruit of our lives bears witness to who Jesus is in our lives. And in verse 20, he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. And it says there, because they did not repent. Now, Jesus had already been ministering all over the Galilee region as well as Jerusalem. And as he had been ministering, you remember, there were some people who received him. And they believed in him, and there were some people who did not. You remember when Jesus had crossed the, the Lake Galilee, and they arrived on the sort of the, the northeastern shore to the Gadarenes, and as they got out of the boat, and the, the men who were demon-possessed met him, and as they, Jesus cast out those demons, that the people told Jesus to go away. Don't be here, Jesus. Stay away from us. You're, you're ruining our commerce. You're ruining our livelihood. You sent the demons into the pigs, and the pigs <clears throat> ran down the hill and, and were drowned. And when that happened, of course, we lost a lot of money. So we don't like you. We know you did a miracle, but that, that's just too crazy for us. Get out of here. And we certainly know that as Jesus went and he ministered and he raised the dead and healed the sick and did all those things, that there were people who believed and they brought their friends and more people were healed. But there were also people who were standing around who were sort of in the back of the crowd. And they didn't believe and they stood with their arms crossed and they, they you know, were rubbing their chins and squinting their eyes and saying, Jesus, I don't know about this. Who is this? What is this new thing that's happening? I don't know about him. Then they would go to the elders, to the chief priests and to the scribes and say, hey, what do you guys think about this crazy prophet? What's he doing? And Jesus began to rebuke these cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And understand that when the Lord is among people, when the Lord is moving, when he's working, when he's preaching, when he's teaching, when he's healing, when he's doing all those things that he told John's disciples to tell John, there has to be, because of an encounter with the truth, there has to be a response to the truth. And this response to the truth is always repentance. You know, for all of us, you know, hopefully this is part of the reason why we come to church, right? Because we need, we need the Lord. We need the Word of God. We need Christ. And even if you're reading your Bible every day, and I hope that you are, you know that the Word of God always ends up speaking to some issue in our lives. And on this side of heaven, we struggle with sin, don't we? So the proper response to an encounter with Jesus, to an encounter with the truth is repentance. It's change, changing our minds 
and beginning to accept what Jesus said and to obey what he said. And then he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. You see, Tyre and Sidon were always being warned by the prophets of the Old Testament. The word of the Lord went to them over and over and over. You may remember in Luke 16 that beautiful parable Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus. That as he told that story, there was a rich man who fared sumptuously every day, and then there was this poor man, Lazarus, who sat by the gate hoping to get table scraps as the garbage was thrown out. And then he, Jesus fast-forwards into the story to they've died. And now what's happening on the other side, what's happening in eternity? He says the rich man is in a place of torment. And he's across a, a great chasm, a great divide, and that, that poor man who suffered all of his life, his, whose name was Lazarus, not to be confused with the Lazarus who was the brother of Martha and Mary, that he was now in the Abraham's bosom, he, bosom, he was in heaven. And during that interaction, the man is yelling across the great chasm saying, hey, can you send somebody back to tell my family, tell my brothers? Because I don't want them to be here where I am. Go warn them. Please send somebody back. Send somebody from the dead. Send an angel. Send somebody. And Abraham said, you know, if they won't receive the word of God as it's already been revealed to them. You know, they have the law. They have the prophets. They have the law of Moses. If they won't receive that, then they're not going to receive a, a miraculous appearing of someone from the dead. And Jesus says here, if... I've been in your presence and I've done these things and I've healed the sick and I've raised the dead. I've done all these things. If they would have repented, they would have been saved. But he says, the mighty works which were done in you, if they were done here before you and they were done also in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. But Tyre and Sidon, in some respects, were sort of written off as a place that was not going to receive. And he says, but I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And then he goes a little further in you, Capernaum, right there, his base of operations, the home of Peter. You, Capernaum, who were exalted to the heaven, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now we remember Sodom and Gomorrah. We just studied this last year in the book of Genesis. This was a place that had embraced every evil thing, every evil practice. And remember, the Lord sent two angels and he himself went as a third to the trees of Mamre where Abraham was camped out. And remember his nephew Lot was in, down in Sodom. And he said, hey, we're going to go down there and, and get them because the Lord's about to do something amazing. He's going to do something terrible. He's going to judge that city. And so the two angels were sent down into Sodom, and you probably know the story. As they went in and they went to Lot's house to pull he and his family out, the men of that city came out at night and they said, bring them out that we may have our way with them. They wanted to have homosexual relations with the two angels who were appearing as men. And so they got the, the family out, and as the family was leaving, God torched the city. 
because of their sin. He judged them because of the heinous nature of their sin. And Jesus calls that to mind here and he says, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment. When we think about Sodom, we think about all of the horrendous things. And he says, I've been here among you preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing, doing miracles, signs and wonders in your very presence. And you have not received me. Sodom is going to receive more mercy than you. That, my goodness, how, how can that be? And Jesus is warning them about these things. And I found in my life, and I've seen it over the years, over and over and over, God doesn't just give us one warning, does he? He's so gracious. He's so merciful. That over and over and over, because of his love, because of his grace, because of his mercy, he brings his word to us. He, he sends a message. He sends a messenger. And he warns us of our sin. He warns us of our condition. And he tells us of our great need for him and that he is the one who is the solution. And he comes to this glorious passage here at the end of this chapter, beginning in verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, and this is a prayer. He, he breaks into a prayer right there before his disciples. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and from the prudent, and you have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. So this prayer of Jesus, anytime Jesus prays, we ought to take note of it. Anytime we see a prayer in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, whomever, we ought to write it down because it helps us know how we should pray. So Jesus turned to the Father after he had just given this sort of scathing rebuke to people who had not repented because of he abundantly revealing himself to so many people. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And let's remind ourselves this morning that God is our Father. Let's remind ourselves this morning that God is the Lord of heaven and earth. And let's remind ourselves this morning that he is in control of all things. It says here that you, God, have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Babes means those who are simple, those who have a simple faith, those who, who have faith. You see, often the wise, the prudent, they view themselves to be too wise for things like, quote, religion. Religion's a crutch. The reason you believe in Jesus is because you're, you're, you're too weak, you're, you're feeble-minded. You need something to believe in. You need a crutch to lean on. And Jesus said, no, they just have faith, they believe in God. Not just any God, the God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he says, it seemed good to you, Father, in your sight to reveal these things to whom you will. You see, God chooses to reveal himself to people. And we have these verses in the Bible, right? We have John 3.16, that God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So there's the whosoever will believe. It's an open invitation. But then we also have God willing to reveal from his sovereign point of view 
to those whom he sees who has faith. And that's, that's sovereign and divine election and it's predestination. And we have trouble with that. That's because we try to say it's one or the other and it's not one or the other. It's not, it's not either or, it's, it's both and. Because the scriptures tell us that God before the foundation of the earth, as we're sitting here this morning, and if you know Christ, God wrote your name in the book of life. What an amazing thing. You see, God willed to reveal it to us. And who are we to question what God wanted to do? And he says here, all things, verse 27, have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So Jesus is now saying, I'm letting you in on a little secret. And the secret is my relationship with the Father, and I want you to have the same relationship with the Father that I have. You see, God's given me the authority. He's given me the power. All things have been delivered to me. And no one knows except the Son and whom the Son wills to reveal him. And in verse 28, he says... Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And as he says these words, they have to touch our soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." You see, the reason I referred earlier back to chapter 10 where he says you need to take up your cross and follow me, the cross was a death sentence. And he was saying we need to die. We need to die to ourselves. And we need to understand something that if God has given us faith and we've chosen to believe in Christ and we're now following him, The idea of taking up your cross and following him is understanding something about this new life that God has given to us, that it didn't come cheaply. It was not random. God willed to reveal himself to us. Jesus willed that the Father would reveal himself to us. And you see, this was not something flippant. This was not something that we just stumbled upon and discovered. This was the will of God for our lives. And so God has seen fit to call us out, to call us to be his sons and daughters. And so there's there's an element of commitment. There's an element of sacrifice on our part. But even understanding that, he says here in verse 28, and there's three main verbs, he says, come to me, take, and learn. So these are things not only that he's asking, but these are commands. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus directed this call to those who were burdened. He called those who sensed they must come to him to relieve their need instead of, li- instead of living in self-sufficiency. One commentator said that labor implies the burdens that we take upon ourselves and heavy laden implies the burdens put upon us by other people. Does anybody struggle with that? You have your own burdens that you carry and you're heavy laden because others have put things on you that you didn't want. Doesn't this happen all the time? Isn't this what we do in families? We put burdens upon each other. 
And Jesus says, if you're burdened, if you're heavy laden, come to me. Why? I will give you rest. That's why I I believe so many people aren't here today. They're getting some rest. But Jesus calls us to himself to get rest. He says, I will give you rest. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says this. Since therefore a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of us seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, that's those who rejected him, and not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. And he goes on to say, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Referring to God having created the earth in six days and on the seventh he rested. Let us therefore, Hebrews 4.11, be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. You see, disobedience brings us burdens. Rest means we come to Christ. And as it says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, he says, Come to me, all you who are heavy and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So he's calling us to a life of exchange that we give him our heavy burdens and our cares and our worries. He says the same thing later in the epistle of 1 Peter. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. When he says to take my yoke upon you, he's calling upon an illustration that they all understood. You see, oxen were used to do heavy work, heavy labor. And they would bring two oxen together and they had a yoke, which was sort of a carved, curved piece of wood that they would use to to put around the neck of the oxen and then they would hook up their harnesses to it and then the, the oxen could pull carts or they could pull a plow and plow a field. But here's the thing about yokes. They could build a generic one and it might not fit well, but often if they had two oxen that were slightly different or maybe one's neck was bigger, they would actually carve that yoke to be custom or tailor made to those two oxen, to that unique pair of oxen. And so Jesus is saying here in verse 29, take my yoke upon you. As Jesus is calling us alongside himself to walk with him, to be yoked with him, to be joined together with him. And I assure you that the yoke that he puts on us as we come willingly is a yoke that has been tailor-made for us as we walk in unison with him. And he says, and learn from me. Sometimes we're so filled with pride, are we? Anybody here have trouble taking instruction from someone else? Jesus says, learn from me. If there's anyone we shouldn't have trouble taking instructions from, it's Jesus, isn't it? Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You see, Jesus is not harsh. He's not a taskmaster. He's not cracking the whip like your boss is or my boss is. He's not expecting all these things from you and they all need to be done by Tuesday at 10 a.m. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart 
and you will find rest for your souls. You see, Jesus came to bring us peace. He came to bring us rest. We must come as disciples ready and willing to learn, willing to be guided by his yoke, not merely to just receive something from him. I think this is something that's very important for us in the Christian life that we need to understand so often in our prayers. We run into our prayer closet, as it were, and we come before the Lord and we go, Lord, here's my list for today. I need this. I need that. I need that. And by the way, can you do all this like this week? That'd be great. Thank you, Lord. We'll see you later. And Jesus says, no, if we come and we yoke ourselves alongside him, that means we're walking with him. And maybe I want to go this way, but Jesus wants to veer off to the left because he's got somewhere he needs to go and he wants to take us with him. But we're like, Lord, I don't want to go that way. I got to be over here. I got to be over there by a certain time. And Jesus says, no, follow me. You're yoked with me. Take my yoke upon you. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. Don't worry about those other things. Stay close to me. One commentator said the word take is referring to a deeper experience. When we come to Christ by faith, he gives us rest. And when we take his yoke and learn, we find rest. We find that deeper rest of surrender and obedience. The first is peace with God. The second is the peace of God. To take a yoke meant to become a disciple. When we submit to Christ, we are yoked to him. The word means well-fitting. He has just the yoke that is tailor-made for our lives and for our needs. The burden of doing his will is not a heavy burden. The word learn, the first two commands represent a crisis as we come and we yield to Christ, but this step is a process. As we learn more about him, we find a deeper peace because we trust him more. We learn about him and we learn from him. And in the Old Testament, there's a verse many of you have probably memorized. It's, Psalm, it's in Psalm 46, verse 10. It says, be still and know that I am God. And so often the Lord calls us to just be with him. You see, no agenda. In fact, the, the first speaker at the conference if you listen to that, he's a very unique individual. He's a gentleman who ended up uh, 20 years ago in Iran in a prison for preaching the gospel. He felt called to go to Iran, went there, began to preach the gospel, knew it was a risky venture, got thrown in prison, was there for some period of time. I don't remember how long, but he told of his story of how the Lord met him in that jail cell. And another miraculous thing, like I told you a few minutes ago about Pastor Mike, he said, as he was in that jail cell, you know, they had taken everything, they stripped him naked. And often he was in that jail cell naked. And he said, one day a guard came by and handed him his Bible because they had taken it from him when they put him in the jail and gave him some clothes. And he's like, why, why, why is this guy showing me kindness? And so he's in that jail cell with his Bible and his clothes. And then the day comes when he's called into court and it turns out this man was a dual citizen of both Switzerland and the U.S. and it turned out the Swiss embassy had been working with the U.S. embassy to get him out. Behind the scenes, of course, he didn't know any of this and he gets into the courtroom 
and he's called out before the judge. This is in an Iranian court. And the judge says to him, so why are you here? Why were you put in prison? Why did you come to this country? And he said, because I wanted to tell you all about the love of Jesus Christ. And he said, for some period of time, he stood in this Iranian court proclaiming the love of Jesus to these people. And at the end of that time, you would have thought he would have already been cut off or beaten or thrown back in jail. But instead, they ushered him out the door and said, you're free to go. Amazing things that, we do, that happens in our lives when we are yoked to Jesus. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke of Jesus is easy and light as compared with the yoke of others. The yoke of Jesus is easy and light as long as we do not rebel against what he's doing in our lives. The yoke of Jesus has nothing to do with worries and cares. The yoke of Jesus does not include the burdens we choose to add to it. It doesn't include the burdens others choose to add to our lives. J.C. Ryle said this, Let us, however, draw from these words the great practical truth that all power and authority in everything that concerns our soul's interests is placed in our Lord Jesus Christ's hands. All things have been handed over to him. He bears the keys. To him we must go for admission into heaven. He is the door. Through him we must enter. He is the shepherd. We must hear his voice and follow him if we do not want to perish in the wilderness. He is the great physician. We must apply to him if we would be healed of the plague of sin. He is the bread of life. We must feed on him if we would have our souls satisfied. He is the light. We must walk after him if we do not want to wander in darkness. He is the fountain of And we must wash in his blood if we would be cleansed and made ready for the great day of account. Blessed and glorious are these truths. If we have Christ, we have everything. Amen. This call of Jesus, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, is both a call to salvation and a call to a life of walking with Christ. And so as we close today, If there's anyone here or anyone listening online or even listening later who has never come to Jesus, Jesus himself is speaking these words. They're in red in your Bible. He is the one who said, come to me. And so we would invite you this morning to come to Christ, to lay down your burdens, lay down your cares, stop striving, stop worrying. Give it to Christ. Come to him. Allow him to exchange your heavy burdens and your unbearable load and be yoked with him and take his burdens. His burdens are light. His load is light. He is gentle and lowly in heart. He loves you. He loves us. He came for such a thing as this, to save us and to make us his own and to give us that eternal life And what he's talking about here is a foretaste of heaven. It's a foretaste of what it will be like once we pass from this life into the presence of God. It says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm excited to go see my friend next week because I know he has that attitude, he and his wife. Yes, they're sad and they're suffering, 
but I know them well enough to know that he's going to say these words to me. He's going to say to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, I'm ready. Are we ready? Do you, do you know him? Lord, this morning, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And may we come to you. May we lay down our burdens this morning. And if we've never known you, we come and we say, Jesus, come into my life and, and do this, Lord. Exchange, however you do that, exchange my garbage for your light yoke and your easy burden. And for those of us this morning who do know you, but we've been struggling and striving and life has just been such a drag. Lord, we come back this morning and we, we hook up to you once again. We want to walk with you, Lord. Not in front of you, not behind you, but beside you. And may we cast our cares upon you. And may we walk with you in peace. Lord, give us faith to trust you and to know that you always have our best in mind, even the things that we don't like and the things that we want, don't want to do and the way we don't want to go and all that, Lord, we trust you. We trust you. And so, Lord, we come to you. We humble ourselves. And we say these things in the name of our Lord and of our Savior and of our King and of our sovereign God, Jesus Christ. Amen.